Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Je vole sous le soleil Sans toi, rien n'est pareil Je vole sous ton ciel Je vole It was Tuesday the 16th of April. Paul and I woke up in our apartment in South Begal and slowly we began to reacquaint ourselves with life in Paris. We stepped out onto Rue Victor Massé, still quiet at that early hour, to find the footpaths wet despite the fact that there had been no rain. The street cleaners must have just come through. Or the whole peeing in public thing had really escalated, I'm not sure. Who knows? It was our first day. Across the road, a light post that had been straight the night before sat at an aggressive angle, and both Paul and I hoped to God it wasn't a cyclist that caused that damage. Not that the French wear helmets, but even with full-body armour, that would have hurt. We headed towards Rue de Marty, conscious that we only had an hour up our sleeves before we had to venture back to Gare du Nord to pick up the first of our guests. Seeking familiar amidst the predominantly new, we made a beeline for Rose Bakery, where Paul ordered a delicious three-cheese omelette and I had cinnamon porridge and a pretty good latte. But something felt off in Paris that morning. The night before, the city's heart had been broken, or more accurately, set on fire. Notre Dame, the centuries-old cathedral, had been engulfed in flames. It was a nightmare, a disaster, and on their watch, history had been destroyed. As the ashes smouldered, the city was still coming to terms with their loss. It felt odd to be a tourist that morning, as if, more than ever, we were intruding on something very private and very separate from our own earthly concerns. But as the morning traffic intensified and the cafes began to fill, we saw that beneath the despair was something else, a desire to get on with it. President Emmanuel Macron by that time had already vowed to rebuild Notre Dame, and a national fundraiser was pulling in if I'm honest, some pretty serious coin, like just a lot of a lot of cash, heaps of money flowing in. The legacy of Notre Dame would go on. But in the meantime, Paul retrieved a small sheet of paper from the bottom of my handbag and crossed out a line. Thank God we had other options, he said, and I nodded. Thank God indeed, because if there was one thing we knew for certain, we were not getting married behind Notre Dame anymore. It was time to check out our backups. Bonjour, my name is Tegan Higginbotham and welcome to another episode of Rue Marque. This week, we continue our very long journey up the aisle as I talk about getting married in Paris, or more accurately, how to put together a wedding in Paris. Once again, I'll be joined by Paul Verhoeven as we revisit the highs, the lows and the incredible meals we ate while preparing for our big day. 
We'll also go on a brief trip outside of Paris and we'll chat a little bit about Easter in France. Paul, welcome to the show. Welcome to marriage. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I've been here for about six weeks. I'm loving it. So, Paul, we realised that Notre Dame, or more specifically, the beautiful garden behind Notre Dame, was no longer available for our wedding ceremony uh, because it was on fire. So how big an option had this been for you in particular? Well, it was top three for me, maybe my first option, actually. And because we'd left choosing the wedding venue until we got to Paris. And we had such a great time staying in Saint-Germain the previous year uh, because it's across the road from the Shakespeare Book Company. And uh, the garden behind Notre Dame is an incredible space. And we just thought we might sneak in there and do the wedding there, uh, which is a lot harder when it's fire adjacent. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was gutted, much like the church. Stop <laughs> oh, it. oh, my God. I have to admit, one of your uh, one of your necessities when we're choosing our ceremony locations was that you wanted somewhere somewhat private. You're never going to get complete privacy in public in Paris, but you wanted something somewhat private. Yeah. And the fire in, uh, in Notre Dame, around all over Notre Dame, I should say, <laughs> Boy, that did not deter the tourists. Yeah, I would have thought that fire would make people go away from the fire. Uh, What they do afterwards is crowd around to look at the fire to the point where the island that Notre Dame is on was effectively ringed by tourists, thousands of tourists, Mm. for weeks on end. So getting there would have been impossible anyway. So we decided that Notre Dame or the garden behind it was no longer an option. This left us with the Jardin Tuileries. Jardin du Luxembourg and the garden behind the Sacre Coeur. Another really, really special spot for us. We'd stayed near there on Rue Le Marc mm. and we really loved the space. But before we could start looking, we had to pick up a very special guest from Gardenon. If people don't know Adam McKenzie, first of all, you are missing out. We have been performing together for roughly 12 or 13 years, something like that. He's an incredible comedian and clearly an incredible friend because he flew all the way to Paris not only to support us but to be our wedding celebrant. Because as we mentioned in the last episode, Paul and I could not legally get married in Paris. So it was actually Adam who pointed out the obvious. He was like, if it's not going to be a legal wedding, why are you getting a legal celebrant? I'll do it. And I was like, mate, that is the best suggestion you have ever made. So we went to Gardenon and we picked up Adam and yeah. we, we dropped him off at his accommodation. And then we had to just start slamming Paris to find this ceremony location. We went to all the places we listed above, as well as uh, Parc Monceau. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Parc Batignon. Uh, by the way, can we just talk really quickly about how beautiful the 17th arrondissement is. Oh my god, it is so French. So it's lovely. it's like it's it's very very French and very Parisian, but it has the foot traffic levels of provincial France. You almost feel like you had a bit of a village feel, yeah. but you're still in Paris. It was fascinating. Yeah. Um we looked at the Jardin des Plantes, we walked through, we walked the entire length of the Seine, but we kept encountering problems. Yeah, uh, and one of the I mean just for me, one of the big problems is the fact that as you've mentioned on the show before, I believe, mm. uh in France, in Paris rather, gardens aren't for playing or kicking the ball around. They are basically works of carefully tended art and you'll get yelled at if you step on the grass. But we'd forgotten this. So we had envisaged us standing under a tree, I don't know, beautiful leaves falling, something like that, flowers, and we had pictured this happening preferably on grass but certainly not on a footpath but then we we were reminded that yeah that's not a thing in Paris you don't sit on the grass you don't walk on the grass you certainly don't get married on the grass mm. 
it is all those footpaths. And of course, there are big areas where it's all open and there are lots of the beautiful chairs around and all that sort of stuff. But it's still that white, pebbly, dusty stuff. Yes. And even if you wanted to get married on the grass, let's let's say you decided to roll the dice and deal with the gendarmes later and just go onto the grass. Mm. The problem is these areas, these beautifully sculpted areas, these gardens, um, the footpaths around them are covered in chairs and people just sit staring at the garden. So you would literally have an audience of French people watching It would basically, yeah, be inviting an audience. Yes. Another one of the problems we found in this one, I knew that Rulemark uh, listeners would enjoy. The church behind the Sacré-Cœur had been, as we said, one of the top picks. The exact location that we wanted to um, to use, there is now a public toilet there. This tiny little silver, like it's like this tube, one of the one toilet only kind of public toilets, mm. but it was sitting right where our view of the church would have been. It was a disaster. So suddenly that wasn't an option anymore. And we were beginning to get a little bit stressed because we just weren't finding that place, that perfect place that we connected with. And every single time we walked to a location, it cost you something because your foot was getting worse and worse at this point. We did make do in one way, though. We did find our own little cheat, which was... Um... <laughs> oh, no. The scooters. <laughs> oh, my God. So they, these weren't there the last time we were in Paris, but they are now these electric scooters. And when I say scooters, picture the ones that you would push around when you were a kid, the little flat base thing and a stick that you hold on to, right? That's all we're talking about. But they're all motorized now and very much like O-bikes, you you set up an app on your phone, you put your credit card details in, and you can rent these scooters for set amount of time. Yes, but they are just sitting around. The st- so basically, you'll just hop on, hop off, right? You you have the app, you tap it on, yep. um, basically like a little card, yep. and then suddenly, so I, we were just seeing them scattered around the streets, always well taken care of. Yeah, but the first day when we were in Paris, it was weird because, as I said, they weren't there the last time I was there. Mm. And within a year, suddenly scooters and people on scooters everywhere, on the roads, on the footpath, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. And, well, there wasn't, I believe new laws have just come in, but there certainly wasn't then where you could go with these scooters. Yeah. And here's the other interesting thing about them. They go really, really fast. Yeah. So we had walked down from South Pagal. We walked adjacent to the Seine and our friend was over in one of the gardens, like, you know, way too far away for us to get there on public transport or walk. And I said, why don't we just get on the scooters? Mm. And... um we get on the scooters and suddenly we are going 40 kilometers an hour. And now, that's not an exaggeration. These things that you were just standing on mm. go 40K. And in a car, 40K feels really slow. When it's just you on a scooter, my eyes were streaming with tears. It feels like not you're because a, I was yeah. crying, but just because of the air going <laughs> <laughs> and so past we, my face. There's this, uh, there was this path that was kind of leading uh, over to this bridge we wanted. And then we're following it, going way too fast, getting a little bit freaked out, if I'm it honest. Was, well, all it would have taken is one pebble and I wouldn't have had teeth for our wedding day. Yeah, which is a interesting look. Mm. Um, and so then suddenly the path kind of veers into this tunnel, this pitch black tunnel. And suddenly we're on a road mm. made for scooters. It was like being in Neo Tokyo. It was really stressful. It was, yeah, it was strange. It was really, really strange. Yeah. But while we're looking for these venues, we're also trying to source food. As we mentioned, uh, we had decided that we were going to cater our reception by ourselves. We wanted to keep it simple. Cheese, bread, rotisserie chicken, poulet roti, desserts from a patissier. But if you're trying to keep it simple, you still want it to be great. So we were also crisscrossing the city trying to find the best bread, the best cheese, the best desserts. So the days went on and we continued doing this. However, we also had more and more guests arriving and we wanted to spend time with them, of course. I mean, they'd flown to Paris to be with us. You want to see them. Some guests whom I'd never even met before. 
So my best man at the wedding was a guy called Josh. I went to university with Josh, uh, and he and his wife Liz live in Los Angeles, uh, working uh, on they they're screenwriters basically. And so they came across, and you never met them. And when to if it's a big wedding, it's fine to chuck some new people in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. They just get lost in the mix. But when they comprise like 20% of the people at the wedding. They were more than 20%. There were nine guests. So it was 11 people in the bridal party, including us. They were more than 20%. And I had never met them. And what's more, one of the few things I knew was that in LA, Liz's job, well, she's a wedding planner, uh, a celebrity so, wedding planner. So just invite and someone like, who can oh judge my you. God. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I do you think it's fair now that the wedding is finished to look back and say that they were awesome? Oh, they were they were incredible. We met them um, at the Hotel Pigalle, the Grand Hotel Pigalle, I think it was called, in this beautiful bar, this Deco's Deco bar. And I was really nervous because I expected that it was going to go really well. Mm. But what if we didn't – what if they didn't like me? What if I didn't like them? What if there was a clash? What Suddenly there would have been this really weird vibe around, you know, over 20% of our wedding guests. <laughs> yeah. Within seconds, like Liz sat down and she had this really cool hat on, I remember specifically, and Josh sat down and they were really great. And before I knew it, they were all talking about, everybody was talking about Star Trek and nerd stuff and films. And I instantly felt not only 100% comfortable, but I felt like I'd known them for years already. Yeah, and they didn't seem to make things break even. They didn't break even. They actually enhanced the wedding by being there. Uh, It just wouldn't have been the same wedding without them. And Liz, of course, had such interesting insight because she plans wedding. That's that's, that's her job. Mm. So occasionally... She'd just throw in a little a little bit of advice or just say something and you'd be like, oh, that is exactly what we needed to hear at that moment. But at the same time, seemed to be really excited about being there. I didn't get any f- sort of wedding fatigue from her at all. Can I skip ahead slightly in time to give you a quick Liz anecdote? I just want to give you a bit of a – something that you don't know that Liz did. So um, you were about to come down the aisle mm-hmm. and Liz kind of stepped in front of the group and held my hands and said, Paul – as she's coming down the aisle, I want you to look at her and try and slow down time. Like try and just look at every detail and try and just remember every single thing about this because you will never see your wife-to-be walk down the aisle again. So just really, and if you're feeling nervous, look across it. She she just slipped into like effortless wedding planner mode, but it almost it was very zen stuff. It wasn't practicalities. She was incredible. She was amazing. Another thing I, I realized really quickly though was that we had already been in Europe by this stage for well over a week. We'd gotten over our jet lag, mm. but we had guests and flying in and we'd be like hey guys activities hey guys we've arranged this group thing we're gonna go do this everybody we're going to a park to watch a band and <laughs> that's right meanwhile people just weren't on the same level that we were and it became also a real exercise in managing other people's energy levels where they were staying within the city what they wanted to do that specific outing for example i had found out that in the jardin de luxembourg which we wanted to check out for a second time because we hadn't quite found our wedding venue the first time we went there, but I had a feeling that I still really connected with the place. And everything with the word jardin was just like we were on the job. Basically. We were on the job. But we were we I realized that a school band, I believe it was a high school band, was meant to be playing in their big grandstand at four thirty PM. I think it was on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. So I'd set this up as one of the big events where everybody could kind of meet each other and get to know each other properly for the first time. Mm. Meanwhile, your poor sister who'd flown over had a migraine, your parents were jet lagged to the max. Another one of our good friends, Rama, had been performing all over the place. So she was just, her actually, her energy was fine, but I just felt really conscious that this is a woman who's just come straight from work, really. And it was 
about letting go of some of those expectations that I had of these kind of postcard perfect moments where we'd all be sitting around as the sun was setting being like champagne and you just had to take other people's needs into account and those moments did happen later on it was the pressure of putting that kind of first meeting every every time we said to ourselves this has to be perfect anything that wasn't perfect struck us in the face whereas yeah there were other events for example one night we went out with Adam and his wife Rama Mm. my parents and I think it was just the six of us at this stage and we went out to this Italian restaurant in the ninth arrondissement called Faggio's spelled F-A-G-G-I-O-S they were amazing they were so good the best it was right near Anvers Station. Um, they have a pasta restaurant on one side of the road and a pizza restaurant on the other side. And a deli next to one of those. So That's it's three right. restaurants and they don't they don't tell you which one. It's kind of, you just got to figure that out. Yeah, really well-priced, excellent, very top-notch food. Yeah. And so we had an incredible dinner there. But when we were walking home, we all decided that we had a bit more energy and we wanted to find somewhere to have a drink. So we ended up finding this beautiful wine bar called Terre et Sel, Earth and Salt. And we sat out on the street just on this little rickety table. The beautiful owner brought us out a couple of bottles of wine after I chatted with him about what we're after. And I looked up and there was a full moon directly above us. So we're sitting there bathed in moonlight on the side of the road in Paris with my friends, you know, my family, my fiance. We're we're there because we're celebrating our marriage, just having wine. And it was one of those moments where I went, oh, my God, this is what we did this for. This is this is incredible. Yeah. And it was those moments that you couldn't have planned that ended up being the standouts were the ones that we sometimes I had, because I love a spreadsheet, the things that I generally put the most effort into and being like, we'll get there at this time and then we'll do this and then this is what it'll be like. Yeah. They never quite in the lead up fit as well as those hmm. spur of the moment events. Yeah, that really took the pressure off. And also... It's not like a regular wedding where everything good has to happen on the wedding day. This was basically a festival of Paul and Tegan. So every day there was a new chance for something magical to happen. And those things were all part of the wedding. Another one of the standouts in the lead up was actually when we hopped on a train. And um, actually, you know, I'll give this the proper run in that it deserves. Paul and I went up to Montmartre one night and we got to meet with the fabulous Pierre Trouvet from Paris. Um, and he took us to this secret garden that you had to buzz to get into at the back of this very opulent hotel. Yeah. And we sat around drinking cocktails while I hope he was fine. It was just these two loud Australians just being very enthusiastic about him. And he, you know, we spoke about French culture. We spoke about the podcast. He told us about his job. And then we started talking about Chantilly, which was his, the area that he grew up in, his yeah. village. I'm not sure if it was a town or a village. It felt like a kingdom, honestly, when we got it was, there. It's, yeah. it's very regal. So he gave us a few tips. And then on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, so this was four days before the wedding, yeah. a big group all hopped out on the train and went out there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, we spoke about Chantilly in episode five, getting out of Paris. But in case you forgot, Chantilly, I'm going to call it now, is a small town of roughly 11,000 people. It's surrounded by forest and sits only 25 minutes out of Paris by train. So we headed out there on the 1007 Express and walked from the station to the Demande de Chantilly. 
Known as the jewel in the crown of France's cultural heritage, it contains the second largest collection of antique paintings after the Louvre and boasts gardens that, in my opinion now, having seen them, rival Versailles. We headed out there and from the second we hopped off the train, it felt like we were somewhere really special, you know, walking through the forest towards the um, the um what looked like a castle in the middle of a moat as far as I'm concerned. It was a castle in the middle of a moat. It actually was. And we rocked up in the gates and the first thing that our eyes landed on were these. Now, these I don't want to call scooters because they were more like electric motorbikes. Actually, that is what they were. Yes, they, they were. electric motorbikes. Yep. Josh and Liz, you and I, we figured that it would be a really good idea to first suss out the gardens by getting these electric motorbikes. So we, uh, we put down quite a few euro, we hopped on them, and my God, it was fun. It was basically, okay, so our eyes strayed across our initial plan, which was just a golf buggy, because Tegan and I, as you heard in previous episodes of the show, had hooned around Versailles in a golf buggy. Yeah. And we wanted to recreate that experience. We were trying to rope everyone in going, it'll be fun, we'll do car chases, it'll be great. And Josh and Liz were bang up for it, but there were just like, there were literally four of these motorbikes sitting there. And they, they were, were calling to us, Paul. They were calling yes, to us. Yes, they were. The engines were humming sensually. And so we hopped on these things. And the first thing we noticed was they're really fast, guys. And <laughs> Everything so, in Paris goes much faster than you're expecting it to. But before we know it, we are riding around an enormous suburb-sized like medieval estate. And we hoon off to the right past a, like a city block-sized fountain and there's ancient parapets. And then we peel off into a forest mm. down this road alongside a river and we rode through the French countryside exploring on motorbikes. Yeah, little cottages, baby ducks. Oh, my just God. grass, you know, with lavender bursting through. It was so beautiful, so much so that we got to the end of our first hour and Josh and Liz have gone, ah, oh, we want to stay on the bikes. And we're like, oh, yes, that's a genius idea. So we just had them then for a second just hour. Kept them, yeah. We just kept riding around these gardens. One of the fun things, though, we spotted is as the day went on, mm. I ended up seeing two different bridal parties or what I assumed were bridal parties in around the gardens. And I spoke to Liz and I was like, oh, look at them. There's somebody getting married here. And she's like, actually, I'm going to bet you that they're not getting married. And I didn't realize this, but apparently uh, in certain cultures – what the couple will do is they will get fully decked out in all their wedding clothes and then they will go to various locations just to have their photo shoot before the wedding so that when people walk into their wedding, there are giant pictures of them in their bridal clothes. But if everyone knows that those weren't taken at the wedding, don't you feel like a bit of a tit? No, I guess they don't feel like a bit of a tit. In fact, I spoke to our photographer, Benjamin Brett, yeah. who we'll talk about a lot more in the next episode. Fabulous photographer, one of the best decisions of our life. But he has told me that at times he's even been hired by couples uh, to go from, say, Rome to Paris and over to London. And they will do one day in each of those major cities, do a photo shoot in each city and then go back home, which to me sounds like a nightmare, a logistical nightmare. And I would hate having to get dressed up that much every single day and the dress would get messy. I personally don't understand it, but it was really interesting seeing that happen in the Demande de Chanty. You know what else interesting happened in Demande de Chanty was uh, towards the end of the second hour when we spotted this golf cart full of people we recognized. <laughs> and it was my parents and my sister. And so we basically like like a couple of roughneck bikers kind of pulled up alongside them full speed and we're just hectoring them incessantly. And then we all played chicken. So we rode around an old French estate and played chicken with a golf buggy. It was 
exhilarating. I am a really respectful tourist until you give me something with an engine. Don't put it like. And what's great is I can't drive. Sorry, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that I can't drive. It's that I don't drive. Look, we won't go on too much about this, but do head out to Demont de Chantilly. Go see the town as well. When you head inside the building, the gallery is fantastic. You know, you'd round a corner and suddenly you're looking at a Raphael. Like it was yeah, but incredible. You if you can't round a corner on a motorbike, what's the point? Stop it. Let me ride around inside the, the castle. The one thing that was tricky and we certainly learned a lesson was that uh, Liz was vegetarian and we couldn't get food in the Demande de Chantilly that mm. was for her. So we walked into the township and it was Easter Sunday and there must have been some tradition that every single family in the world goes out for lunch <laughs> on an Easter Sunday because every single restaurant, cafe, little pizza hole in a window was booked out. We could not get food. Yeah. So we ended up going to this, I think it was an Italian trattoria. Yeah. And he made us like, like it was kind of like pizza focaccia stuff, but he, I think he made it from scratch. It took a long time. It was very strange. It was very strange. Hey, should we quickly talk about Easter in Paris? Oh, yes, please. So we were there uh, for the full Easter weekend. I believe that Easter Sunday is the really important day and Monday is the chocolate day. Is that correct? Or is it Sunday was the chocolate day? I always forget. But the really great thing is the chocolate in Paris levels up. It was good before. It gets excellent around Easter. Yeah. And they don't just do bunnies and eggs. Every animal that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Like they fish are a big thing. Fish, yeah. I think that has something to do with Jesus. I think he was a Pisces or something. Or I don't he think was a fish. Jesus I was a Pisces, <laughs> you idiot. You know, the funny thing is I joke about not knowing. He, I no, know exactly Jesus- what the story is there. I know everything about Christianity because I can quote the Australian cast recording of Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't want to do it. Do it. My mind is clearer now. At last, all too well. Anyway, I can do the whole thing. I can do the whole thing from the beach. What? The whole thing, right? But I won't. I know everything about Jesus, though. <laughs> me and we know a lot about each other. What were we saying? Fish. Yeah, you got me an, a chocolate dog for my um, my Easter present. Hast thou not heard of thine Easter dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, the public holidays weren't too bad in Paris around Easter. You could absolutely still get your groceries. Some stores were closed. You yeah, know, you Picard to... was closed. I was mad about that. It was really upsetting. But you can still make do. It is better, though, to be prepared in advance. What was really interesting, though, that weekend, we weren't only dealing with closures around Easter and the public holidays. We experienced some of the worst yellow vest protests since the movement began. Um, So there were a lot of train stations closed on that particular Saturday. Now, here's one thing I will say now that I have been in Paris while protests have been going on. Unless you go looking for this stuff, you really do not feel it. It was just so strange being in a city where, from the news, we could see that Cars were literally being set on fire not too far from where we were. Meanwhile, people were just going about their lives. It wouldn't happen in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane or anything like that. You know, it would stop a city. In Paris, life just goes on. Yeah, part of that, I think, is that Paris, first of all, it's an old city. So it kind of has like a memory, like a DNA of, you know, it's it's literally been through wars and revolutions. Mm. Secondly... It's really big. Like really big, in Australia, yeah. we sometimes forget that our cities span a few blocks comparatively. These, yeah. these cities are really huge. But the public holiday was something that we had to take into account because, as I said, there was Easter Monday. We were getting married on the Wednesday and we needed to have everything ready for that Wednesday. Mm. When it came to that 
part of the trip, when we were really getting close to the wedding, were there things that were stressing you out, Paul? Uh, the only thing that was actually stressing me out mm. was the venue. Yeah, okay. As in the venue for the actual ceremony. Because it right. was, there were so many variables involved. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I was the most stressed about was a crowd of looky-loos assembling and watching and taking photos. And, and making everywhere it we went, there were just more people than we'd expected. And every time we went somewhere, everyone in the group with me would say, mate, just get over it. It's something you're going to have to deal with. And I was thinking, I didn't come all this way to settle. I didn't come all this way to another country and make yeah. all these gambles for someone to say, ah, near enough's good enough. It needed to be perfect. Yeah. You know? That's fair enough. How about you? What's, what was stressing you out? It's not that I was stressed about any one particular element. We hadn't seen the ceremony. So we hadn't seen the reception venue at this point. Mm. We'd seen it online, but we weren't checking in there until the day before the wedding. That's right. So there was that question of whether that was actually going to stand up to our expectations. Mm. I think there were just so many variables, so many moving parts. And I think one of the things that I did this whole trip that I would do differently is I really wore everybody's experiences as my responsibility, which is normal for me. That's how I think. I really want people to be having a good time. But there was one time, there was one moment a few days before the wedding where it just became a little bit too much for me. And I had that moment that everybody talks about, just that moment of the stress coming to an absolute peak. And I'm really glad that that happened, not only because it was then a moment where I could just say it and then release all that sort of stuff, but it happened days before the wedding. And Mm. so after that point, I was able to just relax, let go and enjoy things a little bit more. That said, Tuesday the 23rd of April was massive for us. A really big, busy day. So naturally, yourself and Adam McKenzie started the day seeing a movie. Now, to be fair, the Avengers needed us in their Stop time of need. No, what was happening is because uh, I review movies and you know Adam and I are both pop Don't culture people. Don't make this about work. Well, no, because I ended up writing about it for ABC News. So what actually happened was the Avengers Endgame. Um, <laughs> Avengers Endgame was opening like the next day and Disney had contacted me and said, hey, I know this is bad timing, but do you want to come to a screening? And I said, I'm getting married. And they said, actually, it's the day before the wedding. I didn't realize that this was going to be a thing, by the way, because you'd mentioned that Endgame was coming out the day before the wedding. Yeah. And I thought you were just saying it conversationally. And then Adam McKenzie, independent of that, in a phone call was like, hey, did you know that Endgame is coming out a day before the wedding? And I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing for you guys. Well, what I said was, <laughs> I said to you, um, I'm not going to go to the movie. Mm. I, I can't go to the movie. And you said, no, 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 go. We're just, we're going to be getting girly stuff done anyway. Mm-hmm. Is that true? No, it absolutely was true. Um, there were some elements that weren't girly. We went over and actually got the Airbnb. So we picked up the keys and we went into Kai's kitchen. And fortunately, it was as fantastic as I'd hoped it was going to be. Just so much space, just this wall of plates and cutlery that somehow looked really fashionable and cool. Um, There was enough room in a separate little room for people to mingle and have drinks. It was fantastic. Um, The one thing that went interestingly was that we'd gotten in there and somebody had closed the door. I can't even remember exactly what had happened. But then we'd gone to leave again and suddenly we couldn't get this lock to work. And for anybody, you know, I'll throw it in there. There is a certain lock mechanism that is very familiar to people who live in France. In Australia, we have not seen it at all. So for a while there, we thought that something had gone wrong. We thought that the bro- the, the lock had broken and that the door was no longer going to be in use. But this is how positive I was feeling by this stage. I was just like, oh, people will come in the window then. 
we'll just go through the window. So I jump out the window just to see that you can actually do it. Um, and I eventually, because I couldn't get onto yourself or Adam because you were in the movie, so I eventually called Kai directly and was like, hey, mate, so sorry, I don't know where exactly you are in Paris. And he's like, actually, I'm in Australia. <laughs> and I just apologised profusely. Yeah. But then he explained that it's this simple lock. All you've got to do is move this little this little clip bit aside and it opens very easily. But still, it was quite scary at the time. Um, after that point, you did join us with um, Adam McKenzie mm. and yourself, Adam, Rama and I spent the rest of the afternoon just trying to stock up this kitchen with all the alcohol, flowers and food that we needed for the next day. Yes. This job was great and I'm really happy we did it. It was a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be, well, especially because the market that I had scouted and we had gone to and we'd tried their food and was perfect and on the website definitely said that it was open – was not open. Well, when you say a market wasn't open, it was meant to be like a long series of streets full of people, like an, an actual street and market, And we had right? gone there and it was great. And we got there and the streets were friggin' empty. Mm-hmm. Except, except for that one place at the very end where we tried chicken, we tried poulet roti with Adam his first day in oh, Paris. That's right. And the woman there took a liking to me. Spoke no English whatsoever, but because you... And another question I want to ask is, do you think your French has gotten better since you uh, did the podcast? Yeah, well, it's less about the podcast, although I have enjoyed that. <laughs> I've been, you know, doing a lot of tuition with Anso. Oh, with Anso, yeah. Um, of course. And yes, it absolutely did. I still found a lot of time people would immediately hear my accent and revert to speaking English. Sure. Um, Not this woman, though, because, okay, so no. you, you'd already conversed with her in pretty much just French and hand gestures, and she adored us. Yeah. And at the end of this transaction, where we basically bought out all of her chicken and potatoes, you mentioned wedding and she started wishing us well on our wedding. It was a pretty big deal. In French. Yeah. And we liked this woman a great deal. Yeah, I, I really took to her. It was one of those funny interactions where you just meet with a stranger and over what was probably just two minutes of conversation mm. in completely different languages, I felt like we had a bond. She was really lovely. Yeah. We eventually got all this food into the house and we're really happy with that. Mm. Our desserts were there. All the alcohol was there. We found these beautiful white flowers that oh, were just yes. so great. And we lined the table with them. Our settings were done. And by this stage, it was already dark. But we couldn't call it a day at that point because then we had to go all the way back to Rue Victor Massé mm. for the Hotel Victor Massé, to the Hotel Victor Massé for our wedding rehearsal, which was really fun, but felt very much like any other rehearsal that I've ever been in, in that it was a room, a small room full of massive personalities who all realised that this was their time to shine. And it was hilarious. It was so funny, but I'm really grateful that we had Rama Nicholas, Rama Nicholas there just kind of going, hey guys, we eventually have to get this done. Yeah, everyone was trying to do a goddamn bit and I'm sitting there. <laughs> I was so – because when, when I say I was nervous about the wedding, Tegan, and anyone mm. else listening, I need people to know that it's not that stupid cliche of like the wedding is somehow – you know, like a scary thing or a bad thing or whatever. I was nervous with excitement mm -hmm. and adrenaline. And every time someone made a joke in that room, I wanted to just like scream and throw myself out the window. Like, oh, really? Yeah, were you feeling that tense? I was tense and, and I didn't think people were reading. People were having a great time, yeah. but they weren't reading me. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? So at one point, um, Rama uh, and Josh and Liz looked across at me and just kind of had to tell the room to just calm down and start, like, behaving. Yeah, and everybody was just so excited. Yes. And they were beginning to get that, oh, my God, it's happening tomorrow. Um, it was interesting, but we did get through it. And we what, one of the really fun things that we did is we had picked our location mm. and we knew that depending on the crowds, there were going to be three different ways that we were going to approach this location. Mm. So we had 
three separate wedding formations. Yeah. And we had everybody rehearse the three different wedding formations. So on the day, you and Adam would get to said chosen wedding ceremony location mm. And then you guys would be able to say, hey, guys, we're going with number two. And everybody would know absolutely where to stand exactly, right. perfectly. Yep. It, I found it really enjoyable sorting those things out. But then the day wrapped up. Um, everybody, you know, you know, everybody parted and there was lots of hugs and kisses and it was starting to get a little bit emotional, like the families were beginning to really understand how big this all was. And then the plan had been for me to head across to central Paris, to the Hotel de Grand Boulevard. We were breaking so many traditions for our wedding, but the one thing I really liked was the idea of the bride and groom spending the night apart. But the rehearsal ended and suddenly I didn't want to be away from you anymore. We got really upset about the idea of having to split up this night. So you came across town with me and we both shared this one final glass of champagne as an engaged couple. And then at about 11pm, we just had to make the call and you eventually headed back to South Pagal. By that stage, everything on our list had been crossed off. There was nothing more we could do to prepare. It was just time to sit back, relax, and let the wedding unfold. Thank you for listening in to another episode of Ruler Mark. Grab your tissues, guys, because next week we are getting married. It's the wedding episode, and I'm really excited to share it with you all. In the meantime, if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing, guys? Actually, no, I'm not judging you at all. I forget to do that for ages as well. But if you haven't subscribed, uh, that would be lovely. Join us in the discussion group on Facebook. Get in touch, share your thoughts, all of that. In the meantime, I'm Tegan Higginbotham, and you've been listening to Ruler Mark. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 